Amen. So could you turn your Bibles to John chapter 4? That would be amazing. And tell me when you got it. I'm happy with some noise today. That's totally fine. Um, you, can, you can make some noise. Got it? Got it. Okay. Like, so it's just to help you out if those who can't get it, it's, um, it's after Genesis and before Revelation, John 4. So just kind of look around there and you'll find it. Um, and, and basically, um, the, the context is that, that Jesus was going from Judea and he, he was leaving there because his popularity was increasing and he wanted to go um, to Galilee. And what he had to do was go through this place called Samaria. And just for a bit of context, Samaria was a place um, that had, had Jews there and, and when there was an exile, basically all these Jews were taken away and these non-Jews entered this area called Samaria. But what happened was there was intermarriage and, and all this kind of stuff happening. So when the other Jews came back, they were like, what are you guys doing? You're marrying non-Jews, etc." And so there was this separation between Samaritans and Jews. And so that's kind of the context. It's important context to understanding what's happening in this passage. And so I'm going to read from John 4, um, verse 7. I've got the ESV version for this. It's the extra special version. I don't know what you use. Um, but for me, it's extra special. But no, I'll give you some NIV. I think you guys do NIV. So I've put some NIV in there as well. Um, yeah. So anyway, here we go. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I'm just going to flick on to actually verse 19. So Jesus has his conversation with her. And the woman said to him, So I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You know, we're talking on the heart of worship, you know, this series for you guys and, and Thrive. And, and what I've learned about when we talk about worship, having served on the worship team for many years and, and just being around church community, is we tend to have a few questions, and I call it the when, the where, and the how questions when it comes to worship. We ask, we kind of associate worship with a time, like when. When is worship? Well, it's when Silas gets up. You know, it's, it's before the sermon, or it's the kind of thing we do after the sermon. Worship is when the band gets up, right? That's, we kind of associate worship. Worship is on Sunday morning. We have the where question, where is worship? Well, worship is here in, in Cedar Bridge Way. Like, it's at the thr- like this, this is where it is. We associate worship with a location. And the other, the other question, the how question, it's like worship is associated with the method. 
how, how do you worship God? And this is probably the most controversial thing with churches fighting about how we worship. And I, I simplify it to hands and bands, okay? So let me talk about bands first. A lot of the focus of worship is on what songs are we going to sing? And there's some churches that ban like stuff like Hillsong. They're like, no, nah, that's from the devil, okay? So, so there is even amongst churches, like there's such a debate on types of songs. It's like, no, we'll only do hymns. Or even the instruments. No, 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 no. We can, guitar, no, it's just too rock. It's too much rock. I need like a plain old organ, okay? So there's all this debate and it's like, man, how many, how many debates I've had about drums? Okay, so many people saying you can't have drums. And, anyway, all right, so everyone has this debate, okay? And, and let's talk about hands, okay? So I know you guys express yourself with hands, which is, which is awesome and stuff like that and but it is controversial. Some churches are like, you know, you have to have your hand like this. It has to be down. It cannot even twitch, okay? And, and there's this funny thing um, on, um, on the internet about official worship signals. And I, I just cacked up. Okay, so let me share it with you. Um, so you have different levels of worship signal people. And you have the rookie, like someone who's starting up. Okay. I would love, Jasmine, could you just help me a sec? Just hold this, because I'll need to use both my hands, if that's okay. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So the first one for the rookie, like you start here. Right, it's the elbow flap. So if, if you're getting like kind of into it, you're kind of like, JB's kind of like, hey, lift your hands. You're kind of going, oh, I'm comfortable with this. Then there's the carry the TV. You might get a bit more advanced. <laughs> then it go widescreen. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, so then you go to the intermediate level, um, and then you go, man, my fish was this big. <laughs> um, hold my baby, and then Lion King, Mufasa, okay? Uh, then you have the pro level, where it's like um, changing light bulbs, so you might kind of like change it, like your hands like this. Uh, you then do goalposts or heartburn, right? Just, this is what I do. I do the, I do the heartburn thing, that's me. Um, or then the pointer, okay, so you might get, now, now we get to like expert level, like expert level, and this is number one, village people, you're just like, yeah, I can do it, like, so that's village people, YMCA, um, you might go Rocky, which is this, you might like, you know, fist pump, um, or the, the final one is like touchdown, so you like, just kind of, anyway, I thought that was pretty funny, thanks Jazz, give her up for, for Jazz. All that to say... Worship is often associated with a method. And so for us, from a human point of view, they're the questions we battle with when it comes to worship, when we discuss worship. But let's hear from Jesus' point of view, right? That's why we read the Bible, because we can have our point of view, but it's always important to understand God's point of view, amen. And so in this exchange, you don't see Jesus talk too much about worship, to be honest. This is probably one of the only times he really talks on the subject of worship, and we've got to be thankful for that. In this exchange with this Samaritan woman, he talks about the subject of worship. He talks about worshiping in spirit and truth. And as you begin to read and meditate on the scriptures and you put yourself in that story, what Jesus is essentially saying is the more important question is not when you worship. The important question is not where you worship. The important question is not even how you worship. The important question is who you worship. It is who you worship. 
You see, he's exchanging with the Samaritan woman. And he says to the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you ask for for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying, you don't know me. He also says to the woman in verse 22, verse 22 you worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. Today, the biggest barrier to true worship is that we do not fully know the truth about our God. We can make statements like, God wouldn't do that. God, my God's not like that. And, and we kind of do it from our point of view. And, and, and we like making up versions of God that suit us. And, 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 and there's some prevalent ones I see in the church. There's a few. Number one, there's genie Jesus, right? The, the Jesus where you come to him and you just rub him the right way and he'll give you what you want. God, if I pray this amount of time and I fast and I go to church, blah, 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 and I go to connect group and life group, then you will give me this. We treat him like a genie, like just rub him and he'll pop out your answer. There's happy Jesus, have you ever seen Zoolander where he's like, happy, happy? Anyway, so basically, there's happy Jesus, and there's this kind of version of Jesus where he's always happy. He's never disappointed. Whatever you do, he's happy about. Your life, just live the way you want, because I'm so happy about you. I love you so much, and I'm happy, and I'm, I can't be sad, and therefore, just do what you want. And people treat Jesus like happy Jesus. I'll do my plan, and God, you just bless it. Yeah? And number three is human Jesus, where it's like Jesus is just this social justice pinup boy, where people just concentrate on Jesus, his time on earth, and go, man, he was a good teacher. And people put their kids in Christian schools, and they kind of say, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I believe in God fully, but, you know, I want him to learn Christian values. Because Jesus was a good human teacher. And so what we've got to understand is that that can all sound normal, like in a church service or a church community, but there's subtleties in that which are not true. And you and I have to understand that 99% truth is not truth, right? As is 99% gospel is not gospel. See, we can make up versions of Jesus that suit us, but they might not necessarily be true. It's the Jesus we want, but it's not necessarily the Jesus that he is. And sadly, what happens is if you have false versions of God, you're going to have false worship. You see, Jesus says, worship in spirit and truth. You know what that tells me? There's worship that is false and fleshly. Spirit and truth, fleshly and false. We can operate, we can have worship that we think is true, but actually from Jesus' point of view, it's just human. It's false. It could be 95% there, but remember, 95% is not there.
You know, if we don't have a true picture of Jesus, if we do not have a true picture of God, our worship just ends up being man-made rituals. And you see, remember in Exodus 32, where, the, where Moses was on the mountain and the guys down below made up a golden calf. And the Bible says that they started worshipping that golden calf. It becomes a ritual. God becomes his thing. I'll call it like a shelf God. But we put him on the shelf, right? We live our life. And then once in a while, we'll dust him off and go, hey, hey church, check out my God, right? Or God's like this spare tire that we only bring out when we need help. And sadly, well, the truth is God despises false worship. He hates it. You know, even he shared his displeasure with Moses in Exodus 32. He says, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. He wanted to burn his wrath upon them. And you see, Jesus actually rebuked those who engaged in false worship. He says this in Matthew 15, 8 to 9. People, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Isn't that just a massive rebuke? Like, you've got you to hear the heart of God. He hates it. He hates when we make up stuff about him. He hates when we engage in worship that's not true. If we want to truly worship him, if we want to worship him in spirit and truth, we need to know the truth about this God. And there's so much to say about him, but I just want to bring out three in particular truths about God. Number one, God, the Bible says, he is sovereign Lord. He is sovereign Lord. Second Samuel 7.22 says, How great you are, sovereign Lord. Sovereign means he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and we don't have a say. You know, the Bible talks about God being this potter and we are the clay. Jeremiah 18 talks about the fact that God shaped me, shaped the clay the best way you see fit. But how many times do we want to be the potter of our life? How many times do we go, no, 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 no. I'm shaping myself because, God, this is the way I think's best. You might have gifted me this way, but I want what that person has. And we kind of try to act like God on our own life. But He is sovereign Lord. He does not have to bow down to our plans. His ways are high and His thoughts are higher, as it says in Isaiah 55. He is not a genie at our beck and call. He's not a spare tire. He's not a shelf God. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. And I love Daniel, like Daniel's friends in the fire. You remember that story in Daniel 3? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love how they say this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow. 
Just for reference, that's Daniel 3, 16 to 18. They, they understood this sovereign Lord. They understood this sovereign Lord. Number two, the Bible says He is loving Father. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. A loving Father both delights in His children and disciplines His children. He delights in us. And we've got to understand that. That's the place we've got to operate from, that God delights in you. God delights in me. And He delights in us even before we perform. You know, I love with the disciples when they were fishermen, Jesus just said, hey, come follow me. He didn't say, yo, Peter, Andrew, where you at? How much worship are you giving me? How much are you giving to the poor? He just said, come follow me, lay down your nets. You've got to understand that God's first place he starts from is he loves you. And he delights in you as his kids. But number two, you've got to understand about a loving father is a loving father disciplines his children, right? I don't know what you grew up or with what um, parents you grew up with. But the Bible talks about God being this love, loving father who disciplines. You know, in Hebrews 12, 5 to 9, you kind of see the writer say, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Bible itself says he disciplines the one he loves. But how many of us actually want to run away from discipline? Right? We want to... Did anyone ever get smacked as a child? Come on, hands up. Yeah, I got smacked big time. Like I remember my mom would like... um, get a feather duster, like the one that, you know, she'll dust, but then she'll turn it around, and then, like, so it's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing these ornaments, and then, bam, like, she becomes this ninja, and then starts smacking me. You know, the worst thing about getting smacked is, um, I remember being in primary school, and our house was, like, 15 minutes away from the school, so I'd get in the car after school, and I've done something wrong in the morning, I think I've done something bad, and my mum will tell me when she picks me up, James, um, you did blah, 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 I'm going to give you 15 sticks when you come home. Like, smacks. That's the worst because you are in the car for 15 minutes. You're just packing it. Like, you're sweating. You're like, oh, it's going to happen. And then you get home and you're like, oh, maybe she's forgotten. So I'll like, like run, 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 run to my room and close the door and like take out my math book and just pretend I'm doing like, I don't know, some math multiplication. And she's like, Jim, oh my God, no. No, I come inside. And I'm like, oh, damn. You know, we, we, <laughs> we don't like discipline. We don't like to be disciplined because it tells us we've done something wrong. But Jesus, God, loving Father, sees discipline as love because he wants you to walk in his ways. He sees you going down a certain path, right? And he's kind of, well... You're going you're gonna to cross that road and you're going to get be hit by a car. So I'm going to shout at you big time. And if you don't shout, I'm going to grab you. Right. And so we've got to understand that loving Father, that's the truth about God. And He, he disciplines His kids. And in John 15, you, you hear about the Father being the vine dresser and that He does a pruning work. You know that pruning work on the branches, you've got to understand this, right? You have the vine, 
the branches. A vine dresser will prune, they'll cut leaves and dirt. You know why? So there's more space for fruit to grow. God will discipline you because he sees there's more capacity for you to grow more fruit for him. Amen. And number three is he is a king. Psalm 10, 16 says, the Lord God is king forever and ever. He is eternal. He holds our destiny in his hands. He is king. He has all power to reign and rule. And you can maybe write down Revelation 19, verse 11 to 14 to get a picture of this God. I want to tell you, he ain't some baby Jesus. He ain't some human social justice dude that just came and died. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Amen. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He is the Redeemer. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Lamb of God. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the true vine. He is a victorious one. He is a wonderful counselor. He is our Redeemer, our healer. He is our sovereign Lord. Amen. Amen. He is our God. You got to understand the truth about God. You know, this word Yahweh is a word you will see in the Bible and often it's translated, you'll see capital L-O-R-D, Lord. And what you've got to understand about Yahweh is Yahweh talks about God being the origin of everything. He is in everything. He is around everything. Everything was created through Him and for Him. That's the word Yahweh, the best way we could translate it. But what you've got to understand is with God, sometimes we might have a priority list and we might go, God is number one, then I've got work, then I've got my family. Oh, my family's probably, should be two. Um, you know, and, and, and stuff like that, right? But what Yahweh means is that God isn't just number one here. He is in everything. So you shouldn't see God like a priority list because I, I used to do that, which is like, yeah, God, you're number one then my wife, then my kids, then my work, then da-da-da-da-da-da. But actually, God is saying, I, I want to be in all, which means you've got to think about it like a circle. Like God is there, and then everything from our lives comes around that, but he's got to be in every aspect of our life. Does that make sense? That's what Yahweh means. To have him as Yahweh means when I'm at work in Westpac, in a bank, I'm, I've got to be praying. I'm going to be sharing about Jesus. I don't turn off my Christian James and wait till Sunday and I'm worship leading. I turn it on. Man, if God is everywhere and if he's Yahweh and if he's the beginning, the end, the alpha and the omega, man, he's got to be in all of my life. He's got to be in every component. And when I'm at home and my child's sick, I've got to be praying for them because God's there as well. When I'm talking to my neighbor who doesn't know God, I'm going to be saying, God, how do I love on this person? When I'm on the bus and there's someone who needs help. Like, it's not like we, we tend to turn off God, right? We get out of here and we turn off God and we're like, all right, I'm just going to yum cha down in Richmond, right? Like, we, we turn him off. God can be in your Fong Dao and Hakao and Silmai, right? God can be there, right? Just so you know, I don't really speak great Chinese, right? So, 
But what, what I'm saying, and I just believe this is a truth that you guys need to know for your life, for the Thrive community, is you've got to get out of your head what you've thought about God. You've got, you got to just be able to come before God and go, God, show me the truth about you. Show me the real truth and let me come to a place of humility where I submit my life to your truth. Because what tends to happen is we put our life above the Bible. We say, this is my life and then the Bible needs to fit in. But we need to go the other way and say, the Bible's here and our life has to come under the Bible. Amen. Our life has to align to what God says. Now, when you listen to this God, when you listen about this sovereign Lord, when you listen to this eternal King, when you listen to this loving Father and this Yahweh, what happens in your heart? What's your response? Because I'll put it to you that if you encounter the true God, it should provoke some kind of heartfelt response. There should be some kind of response. When you look at the Bible and you look at people who encountered Jesus, you think about, Mary, you think about that prostitute in Luke 7, that, that, that she, she poured anointing oil on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. You look in Revelation 19, and you see them praise God, and the elders bowed down and worshipped God. You see Mary and Martha, and you see Mary come and just sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen. There is a response when you encounter the true God. You know when Jesus says, worship in spirit and truth? You know that word worship comes from the Greek word proskunio. Okay, and that Greek word means to revere, to, to, to you know, res- pay respect. Another, another translation is it's like a dog licking its master's hand, like there's full submission. But then another, another ver- translation of it is used by the Persians, which is basically where your head hits the ground. So you're prostrate. And let me just demonstrate it for you. So when they talk about proscunio, right, this is what they mean. So that's proscunio. That's a response. And someone's described it as head below heart worship. What does that mean? Well, when I'm prostrated, my head goes below my heart. So it stops becoming this intellect. Stops becoming this thing in here. And it starts becoming this thing in here. If we don't have a response, if you're here and you've never had that heartfelt response, I would put it to you that the issue is that you lack revelation. Is that you lack revelation. What does that mean? Well, if I turn you to Ephesians 1 verse 17... I want to show you this, and I just believe it's going to unlock something for you guys today. Apostle Paul, amazing man of God, wrote most of the New Testament. He keeps asking about one thing for this church in Ephesus, and this is what he says. I keep asking, verse 17, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. What does revelation mean? It means that stuff drops from your head to your heart. It means that your, the eyes of your heart are no longer closed because a lot of us have hardened hearts. What does that mean? It means the eyes of our heart are closed. It means we're closed to God. It means we're closed to even feeling God. And some churches have even taken out emotion because they're going, it's the dangerous thing. But Apostle Paul says, you know what? The one thing I'm going to keep asking, the one thing I'm not going to cease asking for is that church, your, the eyes of your heart may be open. Why? So that you may know him better, that you may know the truth about him. And Apostle Paul knows that firsthand. What was he like? He was an intellect guy. He was the smartest dude of the sect, right? Of, of that, the, the, the religious people, right? He was persecuting Christians. And what happened on the road to Damascus? He encountered the true God. He got down on his knees. He couldn't see with his eyes, but his heart could now see. Isn't that better? <laughs> that our human eyes would be blind, but God, as long as my heart is open. I don't want it the other way around where I'm looking and I can see worship, blah, 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 but my heart ain't in it. My heart's just hard. My heart, the eyes of my heart are just closed. And, and I can pretend in, in Sunday, I can pretend before everyone, even in the worship band, I can pretend when I'm playing my instrument, but the truth is my heart is not open to God. I've never had that revelation of God. And so if you want to know this true God, if you want this heartfelt response, you and I need to ask the Spirit of God to give us revelation. I'm not going to be able to do that for you. I'm not going to be able to go in and open your heart up. That's the beauty of this thing. And this is even the revelation I've had after so many years of worship, worship leading, blah, 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 when I've done stuff in my own strength. What I've done now is go, God, you know what? All I need to do is pray. I need to pray for spirit of revelation. God, that you would open my eyes to see you for who you are. And when I, when I encounter you for who you are, man, I, my response starts to follow. My response starts to follow. You know, the Pharisees, they lacked revelation. And you know what I've learned? If you, response without revelation is just a ritual. Response without revelation is just a ritual. If you were just putting up your hands and you were jumping and you were clapping your hands, but there is no revelation, you know what? You just become like the Pharisees who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. And, and what I've, I've learned, true worship, after all these years, this is the definition I could cobble together. The best way I know how, which is true worship, is heartfelt response to spirit revelation of the true God. Far up. True God. <laughs> true God. 
I, I didn't come from a Christian home. I was the youngest of three boy, um, kids, and I didn't know God. And someone told me about Jesus, and I came to know Him. And but I've got to say, I, I think a lot of those early years from 16 on, I, I think maybe I just had the head knowledge, and maybe I, I, I worked things out, and, and and how to how to please God or how to look good in church. And, but man, my heart. And I was, I was doing what I felt were the right things, but I never prayed this. I never prayed like Apostle Paul. I never prayed spirit of revelation. Just come and open my heart. And, and Jesus, what I want to tell you is he's, he's coming after you today. And some of you, like this Samaritan woman, she had no idea about this God and she was doing the ritual thing. And I love how Jesus came up to her. And, and he just went, you know, this is what you've got to understand about this passage of Scripture. This was a Samaritan woman. And you've got to understand, firstly, that God will cross the border to get to you. Men would not be with women. Women were treated less than dogs in that time. So God would go beyond the border to come to this woman. Not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan. Jews did not touch Samaritans. Jesus would cross the border to come to this Samaritan. And the other thing which you might not know is this woman was alone to go for a drink. You know what that tells you? Scholars say that basically they would normally be together with other women. The fact that she was alone tells you that she was an outcast. And you find out that she had five husbands and the person she was living with was not her husband. That I'm here to tell you that no matter where your relationship with God is at or no matter what your truth of God is at, He's coming after you today. And He will not leave you in 99% truth. He will not leave you in, in just this life where you kind of just do church or do God. And you know, the, you know, the title of my message wasn't initially going to be true worship. And last night I changed it. You know why? Because I didn't want to leave here today and you guys go, James talked about true worship. I didn't want you guys to talk and, and say, hey, there's this definition of worship and worship becomes this thing. But the question today is, are you a true worshiper? That's the thing. That's where it comes from, this theoretical, theological knowledge thing. Boom, straight into your heart. And directly asking you the question, God is asking you the question, are you a true worshiper? He is asking you that today. I'm not asking what's your definition of worship today. I don't want to have a knowledge discussion in your connect groups today or this week. I don't want you to just be talking about true worship and that kind of stuff. I want you to be asking the question, am I a true worshiper? Because the Bible says, God the Father is seeking after true worshipers. He doesn't say, I'm seeking true worship. I am seeking true worshippers. I am seeking individuals. Because I know if they're true worshippers, they'll worship 
in truth. That's why it says God is spirit and we must worship in spirit and truth. There is only one way to worship. It is in spirit and truth. Any other worship is not true worship. So I'll put it to you today. Stop focusing on when you worship. Stop focusing on where you worship. Stop focusing on how you worship, but focus on who you worship. Can I get everyone to stand right now? I want to invite you to respond to God today. I want to invite you to respond to God today. Could you all close your eyes just out of respect? Just out of, man, just that you would close your eyes so that your heart, eyes can be open, amen. That we close our eyes sometimes because we get distracted in the natural and we need our hearts open to the supernatural. So right now, right now, God is asking you today, are you a true worshiper? That is the question. That is the question. I'm not asking, is Thrive true worshipers? I'm asking, God is asking you. You as an individual. What has been your response to worship? Have you accepted false versions of God, just even subtle, false stuff in your life? Has worship become this thing rather than the God who you worship? And right now, Could I just, with every eye closed, I want to invite you to respond to the God of the Bible. I want to invite you to respond to Him today, not to me. The God of the Bible, this Yahweh, this sovereign Lord, the God who holds your destiny in His hands the God who will judge you and me one day. This powerful, living, loving God that does not, is not at our beck and call, but a God who created you and me for relationship. So with every eye closed right now, if you saying, yes, God, help me, Help me, give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. If that is your desire today, and I'm not asking your parents, I'm not asking your pastors, I'm not asking your leaders, I'm not asking your partner, I'm asking you. If that is your desire, if you're saying, God, open up my eyes, open up my heart, that I may know you better that I may know the truth about you, that I would be a true worshiper. If that is you, can I ask you to lift your hand up real high right now, really high right now, really high right now, because this is between you and God right now. Between you and God right now. Lift it up high. Our God is here. And He sees not just your hands, He is looking for your heart. So I want to make sure 
that your heart is open today, that you're saying, God, God, open up the eyes of my heart, that that is your prayer today, that the eyes of your heart would be opened right now, right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. You see the heart. You see the heart before you see the hands. The hands is just a response to what the heart is seeing. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, open up hearts right now across this auditorium right now in Jesus' name that hearts would be open, that they would see You for who You are, that they would have visions, they would have dreams. God, help them see who You are, the Yahweh, the Yahweh, the Yahweh. They would see the Yahweh, the origin of everything, God, right now. Right now, God, they would not buy into a lie from the enemy. They would not buy into something that they've heard or something that suits their life. But God, that we're in a room of true worshippers today who don't care where they worship, they don't care when they worship, they don't care how they worship, they just worship You. They can't help but worship You because You are Almighty God. God, You are Almighty. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 